What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dad who dad stuff? Who dad? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Appreciate the loyal listenership. Of course, you could do so in a multitude of ways. Theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Uh, 40% off of your first year annual subscription. Get all of our podcasts, whether it's our pod, uh, NFL pods, uh, Premier League pods, you name it. And of course, all of our written work all across New Orleans, all across the country, all across the world. You can do that. Theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. And then if you want to listen to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, of course, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million, jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. Well, Jeff, look, uh, it's uh, it's been a scorcher here in New Orleans. Uh, you've been surviving. You mean you've been running Audubon Park or what, what have you been doing uh, to, to pass the time here? It's funny you should bring that up, Larry, because, you know, I bought a bike a couple months ago because I'm getting old and I'm pounding my knees into oblivion. The fact you even found a bike in this climate is amazing, by the way. I know. I know. I did. They were hard to find all over the country. Even the New York Times did a story on bike sales going through the roof. But I've been riding my bike more because it's it's just so damn hot here in New Orleans, pounding out there on my knees. Uh, so I went on the levee last night. I went all the way to Destrehan and back along the levee path. If you've been on that before, it's a paved a path. Trek. goes all along the Mississippi River. Yeah, and I was freaking dying it was and i made the mistake of, and i know i'm rambling here but i made the mistake of going out and thinking man i feel great i'm just cruising along here and the wind was at my back the whole way and i didn't realize it so when i turned around to come back which was about a 10 mile ride back the wind was in my face the whole way and i was already tired so it was it was pretty uh I, let's put it this way i was not gonna win any tour de france competitions coming back i was dying uh, we'll leave your, uh, yeah, we'll leave your yellow jersey at home. We'll do that. Yeah, it was it was brutal. But nevertheless, uh, trying to get out there and get one in, as Sean Payton says. Well, on your bike ride, uh, you should have been reading our colleagues' NFL piece. Look, we're nerds and stat geeks, but our good buddy NFL reporter, Shio Kapadia, he put me to shame. I thought I loved stats. Shield is like a stat machine, and he didn't do just the Saints. He's going to do every team in the NFL. And if you missed it last week, his great article on The Athletic. Uh, of course, uh, you follow him on The Athletic and the NFL site. Ten Things, a football nerd's guide to the 2020 New Orleans Saints. And we're pleased to have Shield Kapadia here on the Duncan Holder podcast, making his debut. Usually, he's more of an NFL slash Philly guy, but you know, we'll we'll, we'll let him come in New Orleans. We'll let you slide, Shio. How are you this morning, my friend? Uh, I'm good. You guys are making me feel lazy. I feel like I need a break here, do 25 jumping jacks or something, and then rejoin uh, the podcast with that introduction. But uh, I don't know. I guess after we're done recording, I better get some physical activity, and I'm feeling a little in- inadequate there. Well. Jeff can go ride 25 miles. My <laughs> wife can do CrossFit. I'll sit at home and do 12 ounce curls, and we'll just we'll just leave it a day, and I'll point at everyone there. Yeah, but but Shield. So look, just describe the series you're doing, and kind of just the work that you're putting into all these teams, and and how 
how telling is it, do you feel like, when you put together these big st- statistical pieces? I mean, do the trends typically follow the way the teams have been playing? Or how many, how many times do you find anomalies when you do these research? Yeah, basically around this time of year, you know, as, as you guys know, it's a time to sort of uh, relax a little bit, but prepare for the upcoming season. And, uh, you know, this role of tr- sort of covering uh, all 32 teams or at least being a little bit knowledgeable about all 32 teams. Uh, I just got into it uh, last year. So this is kind of my first full off season. And I had this terrible idea that, you know, if I'm doing the research anyway, I might as well uh, put it out there and do these sort of team guides, team previews for every NFL team. So uh, it's been a less relaxing uh, June than I'm used to as a football writer, but uh, it's been fun also because like you said, you know, there are certain things that you think about teams and some of the numbers, the data, the research will back it up. And then there are other things where you look at it and say, wow, that's that's different than I thought uh, just having watched the games last year and been in the in sort of the heart of the season. And so you get some surprises that maybe can help you look ahead or at least um, form some thoughts on what's going to happen in 2020. So it's been a useful exercise for me. Yeah, Sheil, uh, one of the things that Larry and I talk about a lot in our coverage of the Saints is, you know, how do we incorporate different analytics into our coverage, right? I mean, and, and it seems like it's growing in the NFL by leaps and bounds. We've always known analytics has been big in baseball. It's always kind of a number metric sport, but it seems like the last 10 years, the NFL started to embrace analytics more. I'm curious, wh- which ones do you find yourself leaning on more than others? Are there are there sites for our listeners that might be uh, – I don't know, more beneficial for them to go to and, you know, which it just seems like there's been an explosion the last few years. And I myself, as someone that's covered the league for a while, finds myself kind of overwhelmed as which ones to turn to. Yeah, I think the big one, you know, the ones I look at are sort of efficiency against what you would call counting stats. So, you know, when you're watching an NFL game, a lot of times they'll say, all right, the Saints are whatever, 14th. Uh, rank 14th in defense, they're giving up uh, 375 yards per game. Well, that that to me is not going to be very telling, you know. And, and so the big thing uh, that I looked at for these pieces, it, it's a stat called EPA, which is expected points added. And, you know, we don't need to get into the weeds, but the basic idea is that, you know, a one-yard run on uh, fourth and one is very different than a one-yard run on third and 20. You know, those Mm -hmm. those should not be counted the same. One of them is definitely a success. It keeps your drive alive. Uh, You're really happy with the result. The other one is, you know, really a meaningless one-yard gain, and you're punting afterwards. So uh, that's the sort of big premise around the stats that I like to look at, the numbers I used for this piece. And in terms of, you know, where listeners can look at some of that stuff, uh, Football Outsiders is a site that's been around for uh, a long time, I think has grown in popularity. And basically, you know, they'll give you rankings each week of uh, the best offenses, the best defenses, and really put it into context where it's not just, um, you know, hey, this team is averaging this many yards per game or even points per game. You know, I, I did a piece on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
that posted on The Athletic today. And if you look at sort of the traditional stats with them in terms of points per game and yards per game for their defense last year, they were bad. They were mediocre or below average. Well, you know, Jameis Winston was turning the ball over more than any other (laughs) quarterback. So their defense is going on the field more than any other team. They're facing more possessions. A lot of times they're backed up in the red zone as soon as they get on the field. And so those numbers really weren't telling. They actually were a pretty good defense last year when you adjust for a lot of these things. So uh, those are some of the things that I I like to look at. Sheil, not to put you on the spot, but I'm totally putting you on the spot, even though you've done statistics for most of the league, if not all the league by now, and then now you're churning them out. Of the Saints, what maybe one or two or three statistics, whether it was on the positive side or the negative side of the story uh, that you published last week at The Athletic, maybe either surprised you, exceeded what you thought maybe the Saints were, or were worse than maybe what you saw thought the Saints were? You know, one of the big ones that that uh, stuck out to me was sort of their offensive line performance in pass protection. You know, I, I had always uh, assumed and thought that this was one of the best offensive lines in football. And if you look at the run blocking metrics, they, they absolutely were. I think they were the best run blocking team in the NFL. But when it came to pass protection, it was a different story. You know, ESPN uh, sort of unveiled this stat, I think it was a couple of years ago, that it called pass block win rate. And basically the idea was, you know, how can we kind of just control for, you know, is the blocking holding up for two and a half seconds? You know, typically that's enough time for a quarterback to, you know, maybe get to his second read, find a receiver, get rid of the football. So it kind of set that as the threshold and said, how often is the pass protection holding up for two and a half seconds? And the Saints ranked 25th in that metric, which was surprising to me. You know, I thought they would be higher. But digging into the numbers a little bit more, you really find that, you know, we all know Drew Brees gets rid of the football quickly, but it's really dramatic the effect he has on an offensive line. I mean, he was sacked or hit the lowest percentage of any starting quarterback in the NFL. And a lot of that was just because of how often he was getting rid of the football, you know, quickly. I think it was around 47% of his dropbacks. He was getting rid of the football in two and a half seconds or less. So, you know, the point is he's really making life so much easier for his offensive line where, you know, they don't have to block for a long time. They know where he's going to be in the pocket. He's not going to roll out, try to make plays outside of the structure of the play call. And that really helps the offensive line. So to me, it's fascinating looking ahead to 2020 just because, you know, if if you're assuming Jameis Winston's going to come in and be the backup, you know, he's a different type of quarterback and he might be someone who would, you know, the the pass protection, the offensive line, if Winston had to play three or four games, you might say, wow, the offensive line's blocking is not as good as we might have thought it was. So uh, that that was definitely one thing that stood out to me. Yeah, following up on that, Shield, you had a a great metric uh, statistic about the running game and pointed out there's one of these um, one of these metrics about I guess it's league adjusted line yards which is measures run blocking and the Saints were the best in the league in that regard but once the running backs got to the second level the running backs being Alvin Kamara Latavius Murray the primary ball carriers they were only a, a, a 11th in the league in second level yards and 15th in open field yards so. So what you're saying is the line basically was blocking pretty well initially, but when it came down to the backs making those plays, uh, they were just kind of in the middle of the pack. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. This this is another stat uh, from from Football Outsiders, and basically they say, you know, uh, what is the offensive line responsible for, and what is the back responsible for? I mean, this is a huge question in NFL circles when teams determine, and obviously this really factors in with the Saints. How valuable is a running back? You know, can we put a different guy back there who's not going to cost as much? Should we be using those resources elsewhere on the roster, or is this really a difference making running back that you know if we were to put in a backup, it would be a huge difference. And uh, for the Saints last year, you know, a lot of their yards, if you look at it sort of in that four yards from the line of scrimmage, their offensive line did a great job. But, you know, second level, I forget exactly how they quantify it. I think it's maybe five and 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. And then open field, you know, once you're 11 yards down uh, past the line of scrimmage, the offensive line isn't doing anything <laughs> except for really uh, watching at that point. So that all comes down to, uh, you know, it, it can come down to are your wide receivers blocking, but a lot of it is how good is your running back? Can he make people miss? Can he break tackles? Can he run away from defenders? And so for the Saints last year, they were very strong with their run blocking. Uh, they were okay in terms of second level yards when maybe you get to a linebacker, have to break a tackle, make somebody miss. And they were uh, a little bit worse, but still about mediocre in the open field. So, yeah, the conclusions are, are just what you said there in terms of how their running game uh, sh- shook out last year. Sheil, of course, Drew Brees, 41 years old. Uh, he's the second youngest quarterback in the NFC South, which is amazing to hear now, <laughs> uh, with Tom Brady being 43. But you did a few categories on Drew Brees and – uh, I also did a story uh, that uh, came out last week uh, just about Drew Brees and uh, a lot of these metrics and statistics that we're showing, he is still either near or the top of the league at a lot of these statistics. And yet, of course, it, people are banging the drum down here. Drew Brees, his arm straight, it's gone. Might as well detach his arm, all these crazy things. And I, I do feel like, though, that even if Drew Brees, and I think the metrics show that, even if he does have uh, a weakened arm, which, I mean, Mother Nature would tell you, at 41, it's probably not the same as it was at 25. And yet, he still be able to be one of, if not the best quarterbacks in a lot of these categories. Kind of some of the statistics that you sh- see that kind of proves that. And then what are some of the statistics that and metrics that you've watched sh- uh, research with Drew Brees that should be of concern to the Saints uh, going into the season. Yeah, he's just so efficient. I mean, this is a level of efficiency that we've really never seen in the NFL where your quarterback is completing, you know, 73, 74% of his pass attempts and just has such a uh, such a superb knowledge of where the ball should go and putting it in the right place, all these different types of things. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, uh, maybe even some coaches in the league will still tell you this, that, you know, bad things can happen when you throw the football. Uh, you know, it's not as likely to produce a positive result result. But man, when your quarterback's completing 74% of his passes and not throwing a lot of interceptions and not taking a lot of sacks, uh, you know, it's almost like, you know, you wouldn't blame them for throwing the football uh, even more than they do. So yeah, in terms of all those categories, accuracy, uh, decision-making, I mentioned earlier, not taking sacks, helping his offensive line. He's still elite in all those categories. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the areas that could be of concern, you know, in terms of throwing the ball downfield, 
We know this hasn't been something he's done uh, a ton of, you know, at, sort of at this stage in his career, but it really did kind of go down even more last year, just about, you know, under 8% of his passes travel 20 yards or more uh, past the line of scrimmage. So did it matter most of the time? No, it didn't because he was so accurate and so efficient in sort of the short and intermediate part of the field. And, you know, his accuracy was still good downfield. He just didn't throw it downfield uh, as much. So, you know, that's one area to keep an eye on. You know, defenses have known this, so I'm hesitant to say defenses can, you know, scheme up against the Saints in a certain way where they know they don't have to cover the deep part of the field because they've known this and they still haven't been able to do much about it. I mean, the Saints have still been moving the football up and down the field. Uh, one other category that I thought was interesting was, um, you know, I looked at sort of when the games are, you know, score neutral, I call them. So it's, uh, you look at win probabilities and each team has at least a 20% chance of winning the game. So, you know, you take out situations where there's six minutes left and, you know, one team is up by three scores, those types of situations. If you remove those situations, then Drew Brees' numbers uh, were not as good. If you kind of isolate just those competitive situations, he actually ranked 13th uh, in those spots. So what I found out digging a little deeper is that his numbers did get padded, did get bumped a little bit in games where the Saints had a big lead and were just sort of piling it on. Uh, he did kind of bump his numbers up a little bit in those categories. A major concern? No, obviously. I mean, they you know they did enough to get the lead, so uh, he, he was a big part of that. But um, just something to kind of keep an eye on where you, if you say, well, is he slipping a little bit? Um, you know, may, maybe you could point to that a little bit. Sheil, one of the great nuanced uh, stats that you have in here is uh, quarterback avoiding negative plays. And I've always, Larry and I have said this over the years, that we wish there was more importance placed on that exact measure of a quarterback, avoiding negative plays. We all we were caught up in this fantasy football world, right, where we measure the, the positive plays, yards, touchdown passes. But part of playing quarterback is keeping your team in the right down and distance, avoiding sacks. And sometimes it's, I find it difficult to measure that. Uh, you know, the, the blitz comes clean, Breeze sees it, he avoids it, throws the ball away. It's, it counts as a negative play as an incompletion, but it's actually a positive play by every coach that, that, that coaches the game. And you, you point out that Breeze avoided negative plays more than any quarterback in the league. Just 4% of his dropbacks resulted in a sack, fumble, or interception. Could you kind of expound on that a little bit? Because I do think that's what, one of the reasons why Larry and I have argued that Breeze is somewhat underrated is because not enough people appreciate this ability to keep his team in the right down and distance. Yeah, exactly. Just like you said, the the negative plays, you know, th- this is one where I just sort of looked at, a, looked at a bunch of things and just dropped them into a, a spreadsheet. And, you know, I, I just looked at sacks, fumbles, and interceptions, you know, these plays that really can change the course of the game that uh, make coaches so upset. And, and then I just divided by the number of times the quarterback had the football in his hand. So whether that was a, a passing play or a running play, whatever the case may be. And this is a, a place where Drew Brees is just elite. I mean, 4% of his plays resulted in negative results. Uh, you know, that that is the best percentage in the entire NFL. And not to keep going back to the backup situation, but just to kind of give you, a, you know, some perspective on the range of how quarterbacks perform in that category. You know, Jameis Winston was one of the worst 
last year, he was at about 12%, which, you know, uh, so three three times as, as likely to produce a negative play than Drew Brees is. So uh, that's something, you know, as you look at sort of this stage of Brees' career, he might not have all the different ways to win a game that he did uh, five, six, seven years ago. But man, when you're operating from that sort of foundation of this is somebody who's going to be the most accurate quarterback in the league or one of the most accurate quarterbacks, and he's also not going to make mistakes, uh, you know, that's something that that's such a strong foundation to work off of that uh, it's hard to see this offense really having, um, you know, a very low floor, even if, if things don't go perfectly for them. All right, Sheila, let's shift over to the defensive side of the ball. And look, we talk about a lot of times, well, you know, teams barely play base anymore. And I've never totally looked at the statistical analysis of that. And I'm looking here. Uh, last year, the Saints played 62% of the time in nickel, 18% in dime, and only 17% in base. How does that stack up against the league? Is that just the norm now? Uh, that would be a little bit, uh, I think that's a little bit more in nickel and dime than uh, most teams, but there are, there certainly are teams who are playing it at that rate. So I would say they're probably like in the top 10 uh, in terms of playing uh, with five or six defensive backs. I think league average is probably around like 30%. Uh, so uh, this is the way the league's going, though. If you look at a lot of um, the good defenses from last year, you know, the Patriots, the Ravens, I mean, they were even at a higher rate. They were just, Their thought was, we're just going to flood the flood the field with defensive backs, five, six, seven defensive backs, and that's how we're going to play. I mean, they're really only in base in like short yardage situations, obvious uh, rushing situations. And so, yeah, this is a trend that's, you know, I'm sure for a while we've all heard coaches talk about it probably over the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years. But now it's it's reaching uh, an even greater extreme where that third linebacker is, you know, almost an afterthought for a lot of these teams. Yeah, Shield, you had an interesting point about Malcolm Jenkins uh, pointing out the way the Saints play defense, that they don't play very much single safety looks uh, in their defensive coverage, that that made the Malcolm Jenkins signing made sense. Can you kind of explain that a little bit to our listeners? You obviously saw him up in Philadelphia a lot in that Eagles defense. And uh, I think it's interesting that he might be even a better fit than some people realize just from a coverage standpoint. Yeah, this was really one of my favorite signings for any team uh, in in the off season. You know, I uh, like you guys mentioned, I, I live in Philadelphia, and so I, I certainly write uh, about the Eagles and do a podcast uh, about the Eagles. And so I, I was watching the film of Jenkins week in and week out, and, and he has very defined strengths and weaknesses at this point in his career. And so. You know, single high safety is when, uh, you know, there's one safety in the deep middle of the field. If you're playing, um, you know, cover one, which would just be man coverage across the board, and then you have one safety in the deep middle of the field. Or if you're playing cover three, if you remember those, you know, those great Seahawks teams with the Legion of Boom, that was their coverage mm-hmm. where it was zone coverage, but they just had one deep safety uh, and that was Earl Thomas. So, you know, that safety has to be able to cover a lot of range sideline to sideline. And so, uh, you know, some defensive coordinators play that way because you can put your other safety uh, in the box and have be better against the run, have more run support. And then other defensive coordinators prefer to play more uh, two deep safety 
safety looks where, you know, you're splitting that deep part of the field with two safeties. And so it's less ground for them to have to cover. And and so, yeah, the Saints did not play a lot with, uh, you know, just one deep single high safety last year. They, they played that at a pretty uh, low rate compared to the rest of the teams in the NFL. I mean, really, every team play is going to play that uh, a certain percentage, but in terms of comparison to the rest of the NFL, it was fairly low. And I think that's what you don't want Malcolm Jenkins doing at this point in his career. You don't want him playing that deep middle part of the field where he has to have, you know, really uh, have great range and be able to get to a lot of the, the footballs, a lot of the passes on either side of him. So that's not his strength. But man, the other stuff he does so well, whether that's playing in the box and playing the run, whether that's being a, a blitzer, which obviously Dennis Allen likes to do, whether it's matching up with tight ends and running backs in coverage, he absolutely can still do those things. So uh, I think this is a really good fit for him where, you know, what might be a weakness in his game, he's not going to be asked to do that a lot. And they can really play to his strengths. And I really think he can play at a high level for this defense. Shield, one of the interesting things things that people also bring up is man versus zone uh you have uh, as far as their ranking here in the the epa per drop back saints are top third of the league in man and middle of the pack in zone uh when, when it's funny because i always feel like the saints are more of a man defense team anyway and say someone like marshawn Lattimore thrives more in man defense anyway uh, you know, how do you kind of gauge that uh, as far as the success of this defense? Yeah, they they were sort of middle of the pack. They really mixed up coverages quite a bit, you know, almost as much, I would say, as any team in the NFL. So they certainly played a lot of man. They played a lot of zone. I mean, every, every team plays both, but uh, they were really in the middle of the pack in both of those. And so you're right. I mean, their their numbers when they played man coverage was really good. And this kind of goes back to, you know, the the one deep safety versus two deep safeties. When they played, you know, with just one deep safety and had man coverage, they were not great. They were sort of uh, middle of the pack. But when they played a coverage that, you know, coaches might call two man, uh, where you have two deep safeties, where you have a little bit more help for them, but you're still playing man coverage across the board. Uh, they were very good at that. Uh, I think, yeah, they were the best team in the NFL when playing that coverage uh, two man. So uh, they sprinkled in a lot of different things, but certainly with the different defensive backs they have on the roster, and you mentioned Marshawn Lattimore, uh, they are well equipped to play man coverage. And, you know, one thing I'm noticing just doing a lot of these for the different teams is that, man, when you play the great quarterbacks in the NFL, it's really hard to play zone. I mean, they pick those apart uh, unless you're just, you know, among the top three or four best zone teams in the NFL. The the best quarterbacks really do a good job uh, against that. And you really have to be able to play man coverage at a high level once you get into the postseason and are playing the great offenses. So I do think the Saints are well-equipped to do that. You know, the Saints have gone 13-3 and the last two years, Shield, and um, obviously they've been one of the top teams in the league. But They've had a lot of things go their way, and you point that out statistically that, uh, you know, they were eighth last year in injury luck. They've been kind of one of the least injured teams in the league the last couple of years. I think they were seventh the year before, even though we know Breeze was out for five games a year ago. Third in fumble luck a year ago, and also seven and one in one-score games. And we all know the competitiveness of the NFL. These things tend to even out those kind of metrics so could we expect potentially some regression here? It, it, it may be just in terms of the one loss record uh, as much as anything else. 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it certainly doesn't necessarily mean that you're definitely going to come back to the pack the next year. Uh, you know, each year is sort of uh, isolated and on its own, but it does mean that a lot of things really went their way last year. I mean, they were a very good team. There's no doubt about it. Injury luck is always a tough one for me. You know, it, it's hard to know. Do some training staffs have an edge over other ones? Are the way coaches practice their players and maybe ease up or don't ease up? Uh, you know, are they giving themselves an edge? These are things that every organization is really looking into and trying to find an edge. And obviously, if you have a, a younger roster versus an older roster, uh, you're going to have better injury luck. So th- that's one that's always tough. Uh, you know, fumble luck is is basically... You look at sort of all the fumbles in a, a team has seen in the course of a year, both on offense and defense, and look at how many they recovered. Because in general, you know, coaches will obviously say, well, you know, our team hustled to the ball or wanted it more and all these things. But, uh, you know, the analytics community would tell you that basically evens out and you're going to recover, you know, ha- half the fumbles over the course of a year. So that's something else that went their way. And then, you know, the one score games, <clears throat> excuse me, like you mentioned, you know, that that's something where there are so many competitive games and a lot of times you, you should finish around 500 in one score games. And, and it's something where, you, you know, that can really be the difference between seven or eight wins and 10 or 11 wins, just how you perform in those situations. I think no one knows better than Saints fans how one play, one call can affect the result of a game. And so, you know, in terms of that, they were uh, they were pretty uh, fortunate Last year, so yeah, there are some things that could come back down from the pack, but it's also a situation where we could be sitting here talking uh, next summer, and maybe they got to the Super Bowl or won the Super Bowl, and we could say, hey, those things went their way again. So it's hard to know; it's just something to sort of factor in when you look at uh, how a team might perform in, in any given season. Shia, what do you mean one player, one call? We've never seen that here <laughs> in New Orleans the past few years. What on planet Earth are you even talking about? That would never happen. Yeah, I. I, I <laughs> I didn't know if I would get a fine or be kicked <laughs> off the podcast if I mentioned it specifically. So I was making sure to be purposely vague as there. As long as I don't have to make a 17th <laughs> call to Al Riveron, I'll I'll be good. Um, so, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, uh, one more from each, uh, from each Jeff and myself, and then uh, we'll let you run since you've got the rest of the league to worry about as well. But I do feel like one of the things that I know you wrote a ton about uh, – in over the past year and a big story about the Ravens and their tendency to roll the dice on fourth down. I mean, they're way above the rest of the league and the saints are really just kind of middle of the pack going for it on fourth down, knowing Sean Payton and his aggressive nature. How did that stat maybe jump out at you? Cause it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. It really surprised me, you know, and I would love to, you know, you, you guys obviously know uh, Sean Payton well, and, you know, I would love to know what his reasoning is, because everything I know about that guy is just foot on the gas, stomp on their throat, do whatever we can to score points. I mean, everything I've seen from him over the years suggests that that's his mentality. But yeah, in terms of being an aggressive on fourth down, he ranked, I think it was 18th in the NFL last year. And, you know, these are situations where, uh, you, you know, uh, they kind of could go either way, but you look at it and analytically you would give yourself an edge over the course of a season if you went for it uh, more often than not. But he didn't, and especially with his, as good as the offense was, 
last year, I was surprised to see that as well. So uh, that that certainly surprised me. You know, normally when you look at the uh, the best offenses, you would think they could even give themselves more of an edge than sort of an average offense if they did go for it on fourth down. So that that's something I'd be curious to you know hearing more uh, about from Sean Payton about why he's not as aggressive as a, a team like like the Ravens on fourth down. And Shield, your your overall assessment though, I think for Saints fans has to be pretty um, pretty encouraging. You say basically they're a team that's a high-floor uh, team with a Super Bowl ceiling. So even despite what could be some potential uh, regression, maybe uh, the decline in age of Drew Brees at quarterback, uh, you still see this team being a, a Super Bowl challenger. Yeah, you know, and I think this this unique offseason that we've had, I feel like they're, you know, one of the teams that's really going to benefit from it. When you look at continuity with coach and quarterback, I mean, who's got it better uh, than the Saints there? So I think that's certainly going to help them, you know, even if they regress a little bit in the categories we mentioned, I, I still have a hard time barring just terrible injury luck or Drew Brees having a season-ending injury. It's really hard to see them uh, not making the postseason is just a matter of sort of that ceiling. Can they, you know, get back to a Super Bowl for the second time with Breeze and Peyton? Uh, I think one thing really working in their favor is the Emmanuel Sanders uh, signing. You know, if you look at it last year, um, just by some of the metrics in this piece, Ted Ginn and Traquan Smith were among the least efficient wide receivers in the NFL. So uh, I think if Emmanuel Sanders can really give them something as a second wide receiver and, you know, you get a healthier Alvin Kamara, I mean, there's absolutely a path you can uh, paint for this team where it gets to the Super Bowl and even wins the Super Bowl. Uh, I I would think they would have to be among the uh, four or five favorites uh, in the NFL. Well, Sheil, appreciate you jumping on the show. Numbers, numbers everywhere, but I do think they they tell a really uh, pretty accurate picture of how the Saints have played and where the Saints could go in 2020. Check out Sheil's piece, 10 Things, A Football Nerd's Guide to the 2020 New Orleans Saints. And as you just said, you just put out the one for Tampa Bay, and I'm assuming that one is was kind of a challenge in that, okay, you have all these stats and it's all Jameis Winston-based and now it's Tom Brady. So I, I, that one was probably a little more challenging to uh, to go through, I, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, that was more of a less of what happened last year, more of a comparison of Brady with Winston and what could be different uh, different for them this year. So yeah, every team, it kind of has a, a different story. There are teams that are bringing everybody back and you can really sort of lean on what they did last year. And then there are teams, I'm working on one for the Jets, they've got six new starters on offense. They're four out of five new starters on the offensive line. So uh, it's, it's kind of fascinating to see the different states of each of these organizations. Well, Sheil, we really appreciate you jumping on the show buddy uh and uh keep us educated my friend thanks for having me guys enjoyed you it got it that's right, she'll get out there and do some uh, push-ups and sit-ups and stuff after you get done <laughs> there you go i'm about to work up a sweat in, in five minutes there here you go. all right that's shield capadia nfl reporter here does a fantastic job uh, for us at the athletic joke go check out all of his coverage Uh, on the NFL side. And of course, again, 10 things, a football nerd's guide to the 2020 New Orleans Saints. So that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast. I want to thank our incredible producer, Danielle, as always, for putting up with our shenanigans. And again, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, get on board the Duncan Holder podcast. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks for listening once again 
to the Duncan Holder Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.